Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Um, usually at this point in the podcast, I like to ask Ben to plug a couple of publications that he's le- recently written for. Ben, let me hear what you got. You can find my work at Business Insider, at Inside Line. Oh, no, sorry. Inside Hook. Okay, I just want to talk about Inside Line for a while. Inside Line was the best. Inside Line was a very cool publication from, what was it, Edmonds? Edmonds. Edmonds, yeah, for years. And it was kind of their enthusiast publication. Uh, They would do cool stuff with cars. And a lot of it was performance cars. And it was just well written. And then it was wiped off the earth. Like, it just disappeared one day. Uh, I woke up and there was no more Inside Line. And so Inside Hook is a different publication that's very cool that I write for and actually have a great editorial team. It's, a, it's like a lifestyle publication that has an automotive facet. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry about tripping up on that name because I always have Inside Line in my head. Uh, and one more publication. Uh, let's go with uh, Haggerty. Cool. I, I also really miss uh, Inside Line. And they used to have the best um, long-term review um, blog. I thought yes. it was the best. Yeah, it was good. I, I guess what we're saying is... Uh, if you're an investor, give us some money and we will bring Inside Line back from the dead. So. There you go. Uh, and you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we're going to be talking about uh, two dramatically different vehicles. Uh, ben, I'm going, to take, I'm going to ask you to take the, the reins on the first car, or truck, I should say, which is pretty exciting. It's a, it's a favorite of mine. So why don't you introduce it and let's get talking, to, talking about it. So I spent a week with the 2020 Chevrolet Colorado ZR2, Sammy. I love the ZR2. It's such a cool truck. It, it's a it, it's a really cool truck. So for the people who don't know, the Colorado ZR2 is a small truck from Chevrolet that is also off-road focused, right? Yes. So it's they, you know they can get a multitude of different off-road packages for a multitude of trucks, right? There's yeah. there's different gradients. Every truck, now. everything in the world has an off-road package now. I think you know even like cute youths have off-road packages. And it's gotten to the point where in order to stand out, you can't just have an off-road package. You have to have a special model of the truck that's just for off-road, like a trim level. So Ford has FX4, I believe, for the F-150, but they also have the Raptor. And so Dodge had uh, an off-road package for the Ram, but they also have the Rebel. With the smaller yep. trucks, it's the same thing. There's there's TRD Off-Road for Tacoma from Toyota, but there's also TRD Pro, which is that much more hardcore. And <laughs> for Chevrolet, their hardcore version is the ZR2. And the ZR2 is neat for a number of reasons. Part of that is it's not just like they took a bunch of, of you know, upgraded suspension and stuffed it under the truck and called it a day. They actually did some interesting development for the truck suspension and then paired it with features that you can't really find anywhere else in the Colorado pickup lineup. I love how, like, uh, we sound kind of, like, amazed that they would do this, but it's kind of rare to have an automaker develop all new suspension for a trim level of a vehicle. And this, and, and not only that, but the suspension, these DSSV dampers are really advanced and they're fantastic. Yeah, so the DSSV technology, I remember, this is kind of weird, but um, I want to say four years ago, I was at an event for the 1LE Camaro. And this was at Silver Silver Mountain, uh, <laughs> Spring Mountain. In, Silver Mountain. We're just making up things. Can you imagine? I would. I would honestly go to Silver Mountain, whatever Silver it is. Mountain. 
As long as I'm not going to be cooked and eaten. Um, yeah, we don't know yet. So Spring Mountain is one of my favorite racetracks. We were driving the 1LE, and I was invited to this kind of secret briefing at the time with a few other journalists where we were to- told about the ZR2 and the DSSV suspension, which was developed by Multimatic in uh, Ontario, of all places, for a-, a number of vehicles. But most specifically, it was going to be – it had been used on the Z28 Camaro mm-hmm. at the time, which was a, a track-oriented version of the Camaro. And the then seven they, liter V8. <laughs> yeah, so they 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 took the same technology and they put it on the Colorado ZR2. And the reason that's interesting is because anyone who's driven a pickup truck or an SUV that has really aggressive shocks that are designed for off road use, or maybe have an external reservoir, it's really tough to balance out the need for the kind of I guess you would call it damping on that you would want on a pavement environment with the amount of travel that you require for an aggressive off-road truck. And what often ends up happening, and this was the case on the Raptor, the second-gen Raptor, the first version of it. I know they've they've corrected it recently in the last couple of years, but it was so wallowy, Sammy. Like on the Mm -hmm. road, you would change direction and the truck just kind of, the body roll was crazy. It felt like a pendulum at times when you were driving it. And that's because it had so much travel that was required so that it just didn't just blow everything out the first time it jumped. Right. And I mean, off-road vehicles, they are extremely specific in terms of their application. The suspension, and not only the suspension, the suspension but the tires as well, have to be adjusted for that um, and changed for that application. And that means that your, your usability of the, of the vehicle on roads or, or n- less extreme terrain is really compromised. And so for these DSSV dampers, I remember it being an unbelievable development. Um, in driving a, a truck that was off-road focused, and I expected it to be wallowy. I expected it to be really bouncy and floaty and really take its time changing directions. And that wasn't the case. No. So the, the interesting thing about DSSV technology is that on a traditional off-road shock absorber, you would have um, shims that are kind of – they're like stacked washers. And they help direct the flow of the hydraulic fluid in, that, that – you know, the, the piston compress or not compresses, but the piston moves through inside the shake inside the shock absorber. And that controls the rate of the shock. So uh, it's it's you can you can make it sensitive to a certain degree, but there's a lot of different things inside the shock going on, bypassing internal, external reservoirs, all sorts of stuff that are designed to make it rugged. And that kind of thing can really detract from on-road performance. But the difference with DSSV is it swaps shims for something called spool valves. And these are valves that Multimatic, which is the company, incidentally, that builds the Ford GT for Ford, uh, developed the car. They also have a really deep racing background. And they started using this type of technology in the kart series. Now it's IndyCar um, back in 2002. And they've been developing that it since then. crazy to me, right? Like that we're talking about suspension on an off-road vehicle and the development of it originally uh, came with these really high-performance speed machines. Right? Yeah, and it's, it's wild because the only real street applications for this technology were wild street machines, like you mentioned. Yeah. Like the Aston Martin 177 and the Vulcan, they had this yeah. technology. The Ford GT and the AMG GT, they all had that. And they, they um, the, it's it's... Very complex to explain, and I'm not an engineer, but they have a spring-loaded valve inside. The spool valve has a spring-loaded valve, and it opens and closes depending on the speed of the shaft inside. And it's a variable rate, and they can adjust it. So the the spool valve itself can be adjusted. So when you're just driving normally uh, under what uh, an engineer would call light pressure, 
So just on the highway, the, the dampers they feel soft and not you're not bouncing around like it's a a, a stiff off road suspension and it's pretty compliant. But then mm. if you hit a bump super hard off road, things firm up so that you know you don't p- punch the the wheel through the wheel mount through the mm-hmm. the, the top of the the shock mount, um, and it's more predictable and more accurate when you're tuning it. So velocity sensitive damping is something that happens you know across the board for shock absorbers it's not a crazy technology but the spool valves just it's like a more granular experience and you don't have to the the, the tuning itself the you don't have to try a million different things before you find the setting that works for the truck so engineers like it a lot more um and as i mentioned before you don't end up with this wallowy dichotomy when you're not hitting things as hard as you can driving across a wash which is a way that we would probably describe the TRD off-road and TRD Pro in addition to the um, Jeep Gladiator, which I don't think impressed us with its ride quality uh, on-road, on right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the upshot, all this talk, all this DSSE talk, you get a pickup truck that is great off-road and is completely drivable in normal circumstances without you you know, being irritated at how rough the truck is or feeling like it's out of control in the corners. I would say that um, the ZR2 is the least compromised off-road um, um, truck, right? But yeah. then I remember they have this giant roll, uh, I mean, tire mount in the bed, and you have to get rid of that in order uh, to use it. I, that's only in the Bison, though. Oh, is that only in one of the trim levels? Yeah, so I thought that was in all of them. Okay. There's special editions for your special editions, Sammy. Okay, and, uh, wonderful. The Bison's a bunch of wild stuff. Um, I didn't drive it, but it comes. It's it was made in uh, partnership with AEV, the American Expedition Vehicles, right? And it has a whole bunch of like their aftermarket gear on it. The version I drove was the Midnight Edition. And remember that Silverado I had last week? Uh huh. That well, was also also, also the Midnight Edition. So what does Midnight Edition get you? Um, it gets you special wheels, black paint, obviously, uh, a, a sport bar, which is like a fake roll bar that doesn't actually provide protection if you roll no. over. But it's there so you can put crazy giant LED lights on it. And when I say giant, the lights themselves are pretty normally sized. But when you hit hit the on button, which is nicely integrated into the auxiliary, auxiliary lights on the regular light dial, yeah. it's like you could kill a vampire with these, Sammy. <laughs> I felt like Perfect. Blade from the third Blade movie or the oh, second yeah. Blade movie. I can't remember. The one where they're in Prague and he has those crazy lights in the dash of his – or the grill of the charger. Mm-hmm. Anyway um, – I should never have been given that level of power. <laughs> so what were you – you're just illuminating everything around your neighborhood. Let's say you were right? a little slow at the red light in front of me. <laughs> I mean some people would opt for the horn, but instead I opted for the full brightness of the sun. Uh-huh. Silent but uh, a tan in the front. Yeah, so that, that's gotcha. – it's not cheap though. Like uh, my truck cost 42000 and you add three grand roughly to get the the midnight package, and all of a sudden, you know, you're forty six thousand, forty five thousand dollars for a midsize pickup. So you have to really want the all wheel, sorry, the all wheel, the off road version of the truck to pick up the ZR2. Okay, and then I wanted to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on the motor in the ZR2. Which engine did you have? I believe it's uh, it only comes with two, and I had the gas motor, the the right. V six, the three three point six liter. There's also a turbo diesel. Yeah, I've driven both. Um, obviously, quite different experiences. They're both pretty good. The 3.6 doesn't ever really feel like it has 300 horsepower. <laughs> no, that's my biggest complaint with that motor is that it just feels it feels okay. Yeah, and I think the same could be said about the t- the the engine, the TRD. Uh, I mean, the Tacoma and oh, the 
But if you want, if you want to compare the Tacoma, it sounds it's it's like it feels like old tech. It's loud. It's thrashy. Um, yeah. The the V6 in the ZR2 does rev, but other than that, mine had a, a catback exhaust, which didn't make a big difference on the truck. With the windows up, it sounded pretty good. With the windows down, it sounded kind of raspy. No. Um, it, but like you said, it's perfectly perfectly acceptable as a driving experience. Um, I I think that's so funny is that all the vehicles in this cl- in this class are really lacking like a an exciting engine, right? Well, that's because we haven't driven the old Frontier with the new motor yet. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot about that, too. <laughs> that is also a bizarre idea, too. Um, in case our listeners forgot that um, Nissan jumped the gun and put their next-generation powertrain in the current-generation truck, therefore making it the current-generation powertrain, right? It's, like, I don't know. What do you it, des- How do you describe it then? It the feels like the kind of thing you do because, like, your company has, like, a weird tax situation. And they're like, <laughs> we need to spend a whole lot of money right now. And then engineering's like, but the truck's not ready yet. And then they're like, doesn't matter. Put whatever's ready in the old truck. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, the you know, um, what I like about the ZR2 is just how good it is on a day-to-day basis in addition to its mm-hmm. off-road stuff. I did not do a lot of off-roading this time, but I have had the truck on some pretty tough trails. I've actually – this is one of the small list of vehicles I've actually jumped. <laughs> nice. And, and uh, it, it took it without any problems. But when you're just driving around normally, it's exactly the right size. It's, it's about the same size as a full-size truck was in the 90s. And it's comfortable enough to drive. The interior is, I'd say, better than the Toyota, but not anything special. It just feels functional and good. I I, I like it. Um, but it's really the form factor of the truck. It fits into my lifestyle. I can barely park it in front of my garage in the alley behind my house here in it the city. It fits into my lifestyle. I can barely park it. Well, That's it's, great. It's it's better than not being able to park it. That's and that, true. That has been an issue in the past. But... Um, on top of this day-to-day goodness, I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about what the ZR2 package brings you other than DSSV because you also get a two-inch suspension lift. You get mm-hmm. locking differentials front and rear, and they're electronic. There's buttons underneath the center console that lock it up for you. Very hard to find in a factory truck uh, these days. It, it, it doesn't have um, running boards. It's got rock sliders, which is what you should have on an off-road truck. So. Mm-hmm. You can take this on the trail and scrape up the rock sliders and not damage your rocker panels, which I really appreciate. It's got better approach angles because the uh, bumper has been tapered at the front. Mm-hmm. And it's got extra skid plates. And uh, it rides on 31-inch Goodyear Duratrax. So it's got a decent tire on it. And all of these things are useful when you're off-road. It, it's not just a truck that looks like it's rugged. It's not just a truck that... Kind of, you know, you you want to hard park it at the he- at the trailhead. This is something you can have a lot of fun with. My biggest complaint with this vehicle, and like I said, the rest of the class is goes beyond that engine that that complaint for an engine. But I also wish that they had a little bit more modern interiors. I think of all of the vehicles in this class, the Gladiator ends up having the most modern interior. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's really saying much. No, I I prefer this interior to the Gladiator, although the infotainment wow. is better in the Gladiator. But uh, like you said, it's nothing special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for forty six, forty five thousand dollars, you kind of maybe want it to be more special. But at the same time, you're paying for capability you can't get anywhere else. I mean, there's no real equivalent to this truck. Tierra right. D Pro is a tough truck, but it's a tough truck based on older technology. I'd say the ZR2 from Chevy is the only real innovator in the midsize segment. I agree with that. I really do think that is the case. And I wonder if 
Do you think it would be crazy to say that in a next generation product they would they could offer these DSSV dampers on more than just the the Colorado? Uh, I mean, on, on the top trim ZR2, or would that make no sense to to provide it on a vehicle that is not as off road focused? I don't think it makes sense. It's expensive, I'm sure, and it also would make the ZR2 less special. Um, mm -hmm. One thing, I, other thing I should point out probably is that the Colorado was the first mid size truck to bring a diesel engine to the market too. And I know a lot of people have been waiting for the diesel version of the Gladiator, and there's a lot of excitement about that. But kind of lost in the shuffle is the fact that this Duramax 2.8 liter uh, V6 has been around for a few years now, and it's a decent engine. Um, one of the funnier things that I remember when you mentioned diesel in this class is that, like, uh, I'm trying to remember how how long ago it was. Um, a sh I think it was like 2014, the 2014 Chicago Auto Show. Nissan, our favorite company to talk about today, in addition to all of this, introduced a diesel version of the Frontier. It was called the Diesel Runner, and Diesel Runner, and it was a concept. And it also had a little glass panel in the hood so that you could peer inside through the hood and go, "Yep, that's a Cummins diesel." And that was it. That was their thing. They were like, "This is what we're this is what we're up to." And then that engine never. Okay. What about a little glass funnel in the hood where I can pour my own diesel in to like <laughs> it's called it's a feature called manual rev TM yeah. and you can just do it in the parking lot and it's pretty cool. Oh, maybe I'm it might be I'm, I'm mistaking that glass bit. I I remember something like that. Maybe I've made it up, but for, for the I, purposes I, of the podcast, we're going to say it's it's true. Okay, great. Thank you. Um Anything else you want to add about this car or this class uh, or this truck? I mean, um... it's pretty useful. Uh, the rear compartment, you can flip the seats up. Uh, you can carry it. But I, I moved a bunch of stuff into a storage locker with the truck. No tires, unfortunately. No tires this time. But uh, I didn't have any issues. I, I moved a life-size mannequin in the truck bed, which fit mm -hmm. diagonally. Um, That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 I would like a longer bed. This the truck I had was a crew cab. I'm not sure. But wouldn't you can... that impact? Wouldn't that impact off road trailability? Yes, to a degree. The thing is, it's not a very useful cargo bed. I mean, not all of yeah. us are hauling mannequins all the time. So if your if your needs extend beyond that, I could see how it would be a bit of a hassle. That's the one big flaw with the smaller crew cab trucks. You pay for your larger cabin with a semi useless bed. Right. Uh, I mean, I've I, we complained about that in the Gladiator. Like the Gladiator's bed was completely um, useless to us. Yeah. Uh, and I I'm I think maybe the Colorado maybe has the most useful bed in this. Th I no, the I think it's a five footer. I think the Tacoma might have the bigger the, a bigger bed. That's entirely do you know, possible. Do you know right. off your Do you know off the top of your head? I do not. I'm looking at the spec right. sheet now, but I can't find the information about the bed because I'm, I'm you know. Oh, let me. I think I just found it. Oh, wonderful. Well, well done. Let me grab. I, I occasionally I am decent at my job, but uh, yeah, it's a six foot two box for the extended cab and a five two for crew cab. Nice. That's not so, bad. So you. But it's not great. I mean, a five foot box. What are you going to do with that? Paul Mannequin, apparently. All right. So uh, that's kind of how. It, do you think there's an overlap with ZR2 owners or or midsize pickup truck owners and mannequins? I refuse to speculate on um, <laughs> that kind of that kind of. Talk. All right. Um, and so, okay, Ben, I, I'm going to talk about a completely opposite vehicle. I'm going to continue a conversation that we had um, last week, which was the Kia Soul EV, which I drove. Uh, I told you specifically I was driving it uh, to compare to the Chevrolet Bolt. And it's important to talk about the Soul EV because mostly the U.S. market isn't getting it, at least isn't getting it for 2020. I'm not sure if it'll come in 2021 or if it'll come at all, but... 
Um, it's important to note that the the Kia Soul shares a lot in common with the Hyundai Kona EV, as well as the Kia Niro um, EV. So if you are missing the the what am I trying to say? The the powertrain offered by the Kia Soul EV, you can find it in, in other um, body styles. However, isn't the Kona smaller though? Yeah, the Kona I think lacks a little bit of the usability and uh, practicality of the Soul. It has a, I, in my opinion, it has a, a far less headroom. It has a little less cargo room. Um, it, it feels a little bit more like a crossover, whereas the Soul, although the Soul's kind of body is more unique in terms of its, you know, I don't know what to call it. It's like a cube car, but um, it, it feels more practical in that regard. But I will admit, everything's the same. This thing's got like 200 horsepower. It's got um, 383 kilometers of range, which is how many? That's got to be, I've got to do my math here. Um, Probably around um, 300, 250 miles. 237 or 38. So it's not the big, the most, like when you're comparing it to something like a Model 3, especially those ones that can get like like 400 kilometers on a on a single charge, which is no no problem. Yeah, we don't really have that much range in the in the Soul EV. But price-wise, it's not comparable to a Model 3 either. No. But I do want to discuss the, the major thing about driving um, the Soul EV and the Kona EV and comparing it to something like the Bolt is the they have dramatically different driving styles. And I don't mean that by exactly by the, the steering and brakes and throttle, but just the way you interact with the vehicle. You see, when you get into a Bolt, you, all you need to do is put it in drive and you're off. It has one paddle for a regen on demand. It has a single sport mode. And I think that's about it. It has a low range as well. And or sorry, low. Yeah, low range. And that's it. Like there's no there's no other things that you need to figure fiddle around with or or mess around with. There's it's a no straightforward other... experience. Exactly. If you came from a gas vehicle, you could get into this vehicle, understand how to drive it efficiently and you'd be fine. And I'm noticing that um, the Hyundai and Kia approach to the the same situation is dramatically different. For starters, you have a completely different um, shifter or, or shift situation. You know, the Kia Soul has like a rotary knob kind of thing um, instead of like a gear stick. So that's a bit different. But in addition to that, there's a couple of different drive modes. There's an eco, a smart, and a normal mode. Um, so you can, you know, uh, as well as a, a I'm gonna. I gotta ask if there's a sport mode. I can't quite recall now, but um, an opportunity to sort of customize your own driving experience as you see fit, and at the same time, you know, having these different um, uh, drive modes, like it will change your experience with the vehicle. When you start driving in an eco mode, you'll notice that you won't get all of that torque that EVs are really well known for. Um, right off the bat, it, it just like sort of dulls the experience. And of course, the the reason for that is to extend the range uh, of your battery, right? And in addition to that, there's also three different um, regen on regen modes, uh, going all the way to a very harsh setting, which is nearly uh, like a one pedal driving experience. So all of these features aren't quite available in the Bolt. And I'm trying to figure out is that a good thing or a bad thing? Do you want your EV to feel um, like a completely different product, or do you think it should be um, more mainstream, more focused, and just like the sorry, more mainstream and and more like the general driving experience? And I'm, I, I'm, I guess it depends I'm, who your customer is, right? Yeah. So then, I mean, 
I can see that some people may want to buy an EV, uh, a Kona or a Soul EV and say, I'm an EV enthusiast now. Like, that's my thing. And I'm going to invest all this thought process and time and thinking into how I'm going to drive the car every day. And every situation will require a different mode for that. And I can kind of see that because there's an additional, like, secret drive mode. What? In the, Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. The secret a, drive mode. Yes. Um, I believe if you um, hold down the eco mode longer, like you long press it or something, it'll go into an eco plus mode, which limits the top speed of the vehicle to under highway speeds um, and just changes. It makes makes the throttle that much less sort of responsive and changes the the region. the the sorry the regen the battery regeneration sorry the brake regeneration function of the vehicle as well how does so, it change it uh, I think it's it's far more aggressive in that setting it's like the so max regen so, so you know just a note for a moment about this type of driving mode first of all yeah. the first thing that comes to mind when I hear about limiting top speed and um, weaker performance in the vehicle in the name of battery range it just makes me think of why don't they just call it anchor mode you know, it's yeah. just something that's going to, like, drag behind you and keep you from making overly aggressive throttle inputs. Second, how aggressive are these regen modes? Like, what's the end game for regen modes? Because so far, some of them, you pull back those tabs, like, on the bolt. You, it could feel pretty – the aggressive. G's that you're pulling, yeah. yeah. It could really pull you down. It's almost like it is a secondary form of braking. But what what I want from these secret, these secret uh, drive modes is, like – a regen mode that's so aggressive that it produces too much energy and they can't actually store it in the battery. There's no room in the battery. So instead they have like a giant Tesla coil on the roof that just ignites like this lightning comes out the roof. And I don't mean Tesla coil like Tesla, the company. I mean like Nikola Tesla, giant arcing blue electricity that hits everything around you. Or maybe just like a giant LED that lights up. Just somewhere the, those the are the options. Sorry, a giant lightning bolt, or maybe an LED. Well, it, your your priorities are in the wrong place. What are you well, talking? it depends on how much you want to pay in insurance. But yeah. I'm just saying, like that would be an awesome over regen feature. You know, you have over boost for turbos. Why not over regen? Yeah, I mean, I think there should be over regen. It should have. It should store that in a little capacitor, and you should have like a little boost on demand. You can press this button, go whoop, and just scoot ahead of a traffic. Ma- or didn't like Mazda that. have that? In, in some of its gas engines, and it wasn't on demand, but it would just, like, add it back in on its own? I'm not sure, but I remember um, the Honda CRZ, which was a hybrid, had a little, like, uh, Sport Plus button on the steering wheel that would give you extra energy from the uh, from the hybrid motor there. Um, so I want to, you know, first of all, I use this setting mostly in, like, uh, really sedate suburban traffic. Like, I don't, I'm, there is no need to hit, like, uh, 100 kilometers an hour or 60 miles per hour on those um, roads. And it felt okay. It felt pretty normal. And then once I got up to um, like highway speeds, I would just put in the normal or the eco mode, um, depending on whether or not I was in fast moving or slower moving traffic or, or like heavier traffic. But uh, um, my question about the anchor mode, is it dangerous in the sense that let's say you're in a situation where you need to suddenly accelerate to get out of someone's way, for example – if right. you hit the throttle hard enough, does it access the full capability of the car, or are you locked out completely? I believe that – I think if you if you press on it, like, hard enough or, or like, press the pedal all the way down, I think it will take you out of that uh, Eco Plus mode. I'm, I'm almost certain of that, but uh, I, can't, I can't remember if that's the case now. 
Man, I, we, we drive a ton of cars, and now I'm forgetting all of the really important notes now, Ben. You're, well, it you're doesn't help me on that the they're secret cars. Yeah, that they're secret modes. How did right. you find out about the secret mode? Somebody, I mean, I was on a, a drive program in Korea a couple of years ago, and I got to drive this well before it reached uh, the North American market. And the model I had was the, then was the lower battery capacity model, which, was, which is also being offered in Canada. And uh, I remember it being mentioned then. So they were kind of like saying if you want to see what the what the best way of, you know, uh, enhancing your range might be, it might be this mode. And I don't know if that's it. I don't think the sacrifice is worth it um, in terms of your your responsiveness. Um, driving de- behavior and driving situations really make a big difference. And throughout my my experience driving both the Bolt and the and the Soul EV, I have to admit I used to think I used to have serious range anxiety, and I actually do in gas cars. Uh, when I hit a quarter tank, I start looking for where I'm going to be fueling up soon. Wait, it gives you anxiety, With- or are you just pr- talking about being prepared? Because I feel being like those prepared. are two I, different things. I. I and as soon as I'm below that, I'm I'm more on the lookout for for fuel uh, stations. I'm constantly on the lookout there. I have a question: um, When you hit a quarter tank and you start looking for fuel stations, does this mean you're distracted from the more important uh, keeping the streets free from crime aspect of you cruising the city? Uh, like, does it keep make it harder no, for you to spot I'm, I'm crimes in progress? Fo- I'm pretty focused, I think, on that. Uh, I don't would, know if would, that's I true. Get, I would get so much more done if I had that those bright LEDs that you had on the um, on the ZR2. Yeah, but think of what it would do to your battery range. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I will say that in my in my circumstances, I found the EV experience to be pretty um, pretty good. Uh, there's a couple of malls near me that um, that have fast chargers, and they really do f- f- refuel the battery in like less than 90 minutes from re- like below 30 percent to 100, which I found pretty um, helpful. The only problem is that the price related to that is slightly high. I think it's um, I think I spent about 30 bucks on that. Whoa. Which I yeah, so some of these fast chargers can be a little pricey. You know, I was thinking about the over overcharge, the over regen thing again. Imagine if the over regen was on a truck like the ZR2, and it powered the off road lights. So in order to get maximum lighting, you had to drive like a maniac in the dark and then hit the regen, and then it would give you brightness for like however long to see where you're going, and then it would cut off again. You'd be like, oh no, what do I do? The question is, drive as hard as I can, and then hit the regen super hard again. And hopefully don't hit a tree or a bu- or like a fall off a cliff. Or oh something. yeah, well that's part of it. In the darkness. <laughs> so, but I want to ask you for real. Uh, actually, hold on. There's one thing I want to say that was a miss on the Kia Kia Soul's part um, in comparison to the Hyundai Kona. When you use the brakes in the Hyundai Kona, it actually gives you a readout of how much um, regen you're you're providing back to the battery and i think it does that either in in uh, in terms of kilowatts or in terms of distance of how much more range you're adding back to the battery which i thought was really cool um and helpful information as to whether or not what you're doing is is useful or not um as in whether or not using a more aggressive regen on demand mode is actually worth it or not and i found Again, that really a cool. tesla coil on the roof would leave Good no doubt feed- Good feedback on their end. And I didn't find this on the Kia Soul. Uh, so I was a bit disappointed in that regard. But I want to get your thoughts on that. How often I, – I, I'm almost certain you don't fiddle around with drive modes. I don't think you have a car with different drive modes, do you? Personal car, no. Well, I mean the Cadillac has a competitive drive mode. And how often do you use that? Every time I'm on the racetrack. That's it. 
Yes. Um, and the FRS has my FRS has a sport mode, which is also a traction control uh, setting, and I don't use that at all. Yeah, mine's uh, just a traction control setting. It's not really anything that I would use. Um, and I'm curious as to whether or not our you know you think that buyers are are actively switching on their drive mode, changing drive modes um, every day, maybe once a week. Is there a certain situation where these um, systems are proving fruitful? I've never heard somebody specifically tell me that their sport mode was like it's like the the best thing ever or they're Oh, they- I don't know. I've heard a lot of people talk to me about sport mode in their in their automatic transmission cars about yeah. how it I mean whether this is accurate or not, the perception is the car is a lot faster in sport mode. I so definitely, I definitely had people say that to me like in a bragging way. Uh, I will say in in many automatic transmissions, the car is a little bit more eager to downshift and less eager to upshift. So that means that you're more in the power, you spend a little bit more time in the power band um, and the car just reacts to throttle input that much um, quicker. So it does give you that perception that the car is faster, right? But in a in a in an EV, I don't know how much, how big of a difference, I mean, and beyond the sport mode, that eco mode, which I'm, I'm trying to discuss here, like, is that really useful when you're buying? I don't know. How much customizability do you want in, in every setting? In every situation, do you think there's just, some, a lot every- of it's just mar- I think a lot of it is just marketing. Plus, um, if you include something like the eco mode and even the super secret double probation eco mode, mm-hmm. you can advertise a range that is technically true, but yeah. not necessarily achievable in regular driving. Right. So that's that's why I think you see these kinds of features being included. It's like, well, if you kept it in eco mode the whole time and drove like you didn't have to get there before you died, then yeah, you're going to get X number of, of miles per, per battery charge. But if you drive normally, we're not going to tell you that it's 30% less than that. How curious. I mean, I, I think at the same time as well, you're like, there is an opportunity. You can just never use those modes, right? Sure. So as a result, the car will act like a normal normal vehicle maybe we shouldn't be giving the soul ev and the kona ev a hard time for having all these extra, uh, extra i'm not giving it a hard time we shouldn't focus on this on these one um aspects of the of the vehicle because otherwise i really did enjoy driving the soul ev and i really do hope that our american um um the american market gets it soon because i think it'll be really useful it is it is just the right size it has excellent range it has good um it's a it's a decent price at least here in in, in canada and um, I never felt like I was lacking anything. And again, for the enthusiasts who are really eager and want to get in- interested more in their electric vehicle, all those settings might actually end up being um, an advantage to them. So on, on the whole, I mean, you talked about the Bolt last week, you talked about the Soul DB this week. Which one is your favorite of the two? Oh, it's easily the Soul. The Soul is the better is the better product um, really? all around. Yes, it has. I mean, it has more range. It feels a little bit more. Uh, it offers a little bit more in it. Um, our model had you know features like vented seats and uh, and and other like uh, adaptive cruise control and lane keeping uh, and a head up display. So I, I felt like it was a more finished product. While the Bolt seemed a little pared down, and not just in terms of those drive modes and those like fancy features. But just the the overall overall experience from like the the seating material the the interior materials and stuff like that. I think the the bolt and and I shouldn't point this out as like a negative to the bolt because I really do like what the bolt is, has done. Um, but the soul has taken all of that and added one more to all of it, and I think that's the end result. You've got a better product in every way. And given that it's a more recent product, I think that makes sense. 
Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I'm, I really hope that Chevrolet does not give up on the Bolt. Um, I think they might have already announced that they're, they're, they might not be making a new one, and they might be focusing on a sort of Bolt-ish uh, crossover. As, yeah, like I think that's, def- that's definitely what's going to happen. Um, but they sh- – see, I'm worried about that because sometimes the crossovers, they end up charging you more because it looks like a bigger vehicle, uh, and I don't like that idea. Do you know what I mean? Say that again. I'm worried because sometimes crossovers are given the impression that they're bigger vehicles. Well, and they, th- they'll end up charging you like a, a class higher. I think that the for the Bolt, you might see uh, um, a premium associated with the crossover move. But I think it's going to give them more appeal to get into a wider number of driveways. Because I don't think a lot of Americans are interested in small hatchbacks. And I think that the Bolt was perceived that way. That's really too bad. That's I think that's what I'm trying to get at is that and and see that's where the soul it fe- it feels like a finished like a a totally finished overall package a really good overall package whereas the bolt has some room for improvement and it's unclear if we're going to get that improvement and that's the problem right well it's you know it's hard to I think generationally yeah. EVs it's a tough it's a tough business like. We've talked in the past about how some types of vehicles are just hard to evolve. And when you have a technology that's improving so rapidly or hopefully improving as rapidly as EVs are, it's like as the market shifts, do you want to make a better Bolt or do you want to take the technology lessons you've learned from the Bolt and put them into a vehicle that gives you a better chance of sales success? You know, because if you look at the Leaf, the Leaf was really popular for a really long time, at least in, in the world of EVs. But I don't think that's true anymore. And I think keeping the leaf as the leaf, but it's such an obtuse thing to say. I think maintaining the leaf template in terms of yeah. what it's meant to be and the customer it's aimed at might have kind of made it irrelevant. It is a the leaf is really worth we're worth talking about because um, there was a moment when the the second generation leaf came out that we were really underwhelmed with its forty kilowatt hour battery pack, which I think was rated for like. Uh, 150 miles or something like that. Um, And that was really disappointing because it didn't seem like the generational leap from the, let me see what the, uh, what the first generation had because the first generation model, I think as well had a, had a 40. Oh wow. Yeah. The very first one had uh, 20, 24 kilowatt hour, then 30 kilowatt hour. And as a result, the, the, the range went from, 100 and sorry 73 miles to a maximum of a i would say a hundred nope just yeah 107 well i mean it's 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 hard though to look at the early first generation evs with a critical eye because that was technology it was in in its infancy i would say right so now we've got this this new leaf which is far more usable and a little bit more um smoothed out and it offers this uh, this 170 kil- um, miles of range. Sorry, more than that, um, 226 miles of range, and I, that feels a little bit more useful. So, um, anything else you want to talk about for for the soul? No, uh, I love seeing the progress, the quick progress in the EV market. Um, but the affordability, I think, needs to be there as well. And that's what I really like about this, the Leaf, the Soul, uh, and the Bolt, are that they're these car and the in the Kona EV, is that they're, the, they're trying to bring the average price of EVs down because the Tesla Model 
S and 3 and Y and X are all very impressive vehicles, but they're ve- they can be very expensive when you want one with, with the insane amount of range that they have. Um, and they, they also have other uh, quality concern issues that uh, have popped up to, to many buyers. And so selling mainstream models, um, a lot of them at a lower price, um, especially with these vehicles, these automakers that have like a little bit more experience building cars, it seems like we're, we're, we're building something that's more acceptable for the mainstream market. Speaking of experience, burning car, building, burning cars, building cars, shout out to the Tesla model uh, question mark that was driving down the highway from the dealership after just being bought last week and had the entire glass roof leave the vehicle. Oh, and, man. Um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, that was the, that was the maiden voyage. So they the guy had gone with his parents to buy it. And um, they ended up going back and they're like, well, we'll give you like a, a discount on the repair. Oh. And he, something like that. And he was like, no, we're not buying this car anymore. <laughs> that's terrifying. Um, that's terrifying, man. So speaking of terrifying, if you want to get deep, <laughs> deeper into the head of Sammy Hajisad and perhaps me as well, you can do that in a number of ways. We, we love hearing from our listeners. You can reach out to us on social media. Sammy can be found on Twitter, which is his handle is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Hunting Benjamin. You can also email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or go to our website, www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, where there's a contact form where you can fill everything out and hit send, and it comes right to our inbox. Additionally, while you're at our website, you can see all of our previous episodes, and you can also subscribe to our podcast using you know a bunch of these buttons on the top of it. Buttons. Just click on, just click on the button that represents your um, current podcast client, and you'll get subscribed, which is very helpful. Or click on uh, a button that is aspirational to you in terms of a podcast client, and you can hear us there too. Yeah, that is also true. Ben, what, what are you driving next week? Next week, uh, it's going to be s- the same but different. I have a uh, GMC Canyon. AT4. Uh-huh. And Holy. this is this is kind of interesting because it's the same platform as the Colorado, but it's the low-key off-road version. And honestly, there are a ton of differences between these trucks. And I'm surprised by how many. I wanted to book them back-to-back for this reason. And uh, I'm glad I did. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about that. I will be moving on from the world of hybrids and uh, electric vehicles. And no! will be driving a new um, Acura TLX. Oh, wow. Is that the 2021 model? Yes. Completely redesigned? So they say. I'm very interested. Me too. I can't wait to tell you about it. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.